Hey y'all, it's Brawl. You're listening to the Complete Roller Derby Survival Guide Podcast. If you've thought of a nickname or an acronym for us yet, uh, let me know. Also, let me know if you want to be on the next season of this podcast. If you've been listening, you know that this season it's just me, Brawl, talking about things that I feel like should be talked about more in the, in the roller derby space. Um, but next season, I want to have real conversations with people and hear from skaters of all backgrounds and people all across the roller derby community. Um, so if you'd like to be on the podcast next season talking about a topic that I've covered this season, shoot me an email. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Roller Derby Survival Guide. And if you go to the link in bio on Instagram, uh, there is a link to email us. The email is rollerderbysurvivalguide at gmail.com. There's also a link to a Patreon, which if you have requests for exclusive content, um, I can put it there, but I'll probably also like post about episodes first there, post about new merch there, and anything else that y'all want to see as Patreon members. There's also, speaking of merch, there's also a bonfire shop now. Um, if you didn't know, <laughs> I'm a graphic designer full-time, and part of the reason I started this podcast is I, like, needed another project for myself, and part of that was, like, you know, making a branding for this podcast, and I've also made some merch, so if you want to check it out, it's on Bonfire. I have a bunch of ideas for other merch that wouldn't be on Bonfire. It's, like, more specific and more custom, but I would need <laughs> funds in order to do that, so if you want to sponsor the show, Hit me up. Uh, you don't have to be like a roller derby brand or like a skate brand, but I would love to talk to skate brands about being sponsors. Um, yeah. Sp uh, potential sponsors or anybody who wants to work with the podcast, email me, please. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the episode. This episode is about neurodivergence and being neurodivergent in roller derby. It seems to me that being neurodivergent and playing roller derby it's pretty prevalent. Neurodivergence is pretty prevalent in the roller derby world, which makes sense to me. It's kind of a counterculture, something that people that, you know, don't feel like they fit in in the quote-unquote normal world might be attracted to. Um, I wanted to make this episode because I am neurodivergent. Um, if you know me, especially recently, I've been discovering a lot of things about myself. I used to think that I was just a very anxious person, but turns out I am like, well, self-diagnosed, but I'm autistic and ADHD um, and have some skate PTSD as well, as well as some other CPTSD, which stands for complex PTSD, if you didn't know. So I feel like I have my lens on this subject, but I would love to talk to one or more people next season about their lens on this subject, because obviously there are so many different neurotypes and so many different people playing roller derby, and it would be great to hear from more of you. Also, the whole reason I'm recording the first season of this podcast without marketing it, I don't know if you've noticed that that's what happened, but that's what I'm doing, uh, because, because of my ADHD, I think, I have obviously have like executive functioning struggles and a lot of the time I'll have these great ideas like this podcast for example and then I'll start doing them and then I hit a wall and I, I you know 
let them go. <laughs> Completely hit a wall and I just stopped working on them. And then people in my life who I overshared <laughs> about the idea with are like, whatever happened to that great idea that you had? And I'm like, oh, um, well, I'm not doing it anymore. Here's my new great idea. So my new take on projects, now that I know more about myself and how my brain works, is to get a certain percentage of the project done before sharing it with a larger <laughs> group of people. So like I told my partner and like one or two other people that I was doing this, but those are people that are informed of how my brain works and would understand if I quit the podcast before I really got into it. Um, I do feel like I have momentum already and I would love to keep doing it and I would really love to interview some people and I think that it feels like something that could be useful to a lot of people so I have like exterior motivation for d completing it which is good for me in some ways and bad <laughs> anyway um, let's talk about neurodivergence and roller derby and not just specifically how my brain works here we go uh, as I said before neurodivergence is so common in roller derby but it's not always accounted for um, for example, I showed up to RollerCon and my friend and I were like constantly joking about the fact that this event throws in so many autistic people and yet it was a total sensory nightmare. Um, I understand why RollerCon was in, in Vegas, like that's the organizer's choice. I chose to buy tickets to this place knowing that I would hate Vegas and that I would have a hard time being there and I'd have a long recovery period after being there. But it's, it was just entertaining to us that, like, I mean, the sport is not a quiet sport by any means, but, like, <laughs> I know that I need a quiet space when I step off the track, and that's not something that you can find in Vegas, so it was very hard to be there as a neurodivergent person with sensory issues, and I know that a lot of people have felt the same way. Anyway, I wanted to talk about how we can account for neurodivergence in practice and in the roller derby culture as a whole by first creating a space to talk about it, but also some big things I think we can do are accommodating for different learning styles because that's a big thing with different neurotypes is we take in information so vastly differently that sometimes I show up to practices and I it feels like people are speaking a different language, to be honest, and it's not the trainer's fault. It's more just that, like, that specific trainer that day and I don't have the same neurotype and so they are presenting things vastly differently than the way in which I understand them. So we'll get more into that in a second. Um, another big thing that I don't know how many people recognize but th there are a lot of body differences that come with being neurodivergent. There's a lot of physical comorbidities that go with for example ADHD or autism. Um, I, for example, have a very hypermobile body and some other physical comorbidi comorbidities that definitely affect my roller derby performance and how I have learned skills. Another part of accounting for neurodivergence in the roller derby space would be allowing for accommodations with committee roles. Um, there's a few ways we can do that that I don't think are inconvenient for other, com other committee members or other league members, and so we'll talk more about that. And also just a note that accessibility tools are great for everyone. 
So although these things that I'm talking about are specifically geared towards, you know, neurodivergent people and helping them out when in the roller derby world, I think that we need to recognize that making things more accessible is just great for everybody all around. Um, if you want more on that, I would recommend going to listen to the 99% Invisible podcast episode with Roman Mars about curb cuts. I, I listened to that when it came out, which was like years ago at this point, and it just blew my mind about like, yeah, of course accessibility is good because it makes our world more accessible and more like open to people of all different abilities and identities. But it's also just good for everybody. Like even if you're not disabled, disability tools might be helping you literally every day. For example, making your committee work more burnout proof is really great for autistic people who are really prone to a different type and more intense type of burnout. That's also good for everybody. Nobody needs to be burnt out doing a fun sport that they are choosing to participate in. So like I've said, this episode is going to definitely be more informed by my lens of realizing that I'm autistic and ADHD after starting roller derby. Uh, but next season, I'd love to interview people with other neurotypes or the same. We can even do multiple episodes or like have multiple people interviewed so that we can have a broader conversation. But in this episode, I'm definitely mostly going to be coming from my lens and my experience. Let's start with a big and maybe obvious thing. I know that I, with <laughs> multiple things that are basically constant, just like chronic overwhelm, it means that I'm not great at multitasking and things, you know, I need to be focusing on one thing at a time. So I think that a lot of leagues are trying to do this because it's just a respect thing and also everybody will listen better if there aren't distractions. But I know that I need my full attention towards practice and what a trainer is saying and side conversations are super distracting. That's not to say that like when we split off, I don't want to like chat with my friends. Obviously, I want to do that. I'm still a social person. But when a trainer is speaking or explaining a drill, if someone else is talking behind me, like having a side conversation, there is no way in hell that I'm going to understand what the drill that they just explained is. There's just no chance. The autistic side of my brain, that's the ADHD side of my brain where I will not focus if someone else is chatting behind me. <laughs> The autistic side of my brain that I just get enraged because it's like you know this person is volunteering their time and they're up there and they're talking in front of a giant group which is something that I have a hard time with and they're just they're contributing all this information that's super probably super helpful and it seems very disrespectful and my strong sense of justice kicks in and I'm like <laughs> pissed that other people are talking and I know that to a lot of neurotypicals or holistic meaning non-autistic people it's not a big deal. Uh, to me, that can like really hinder my understanding of what's going on at a practice. Another like thing related to training is explaining skills, plays, etc. in a multitude of ways. And I have seen some leagues do this, um, whether it's one trainer explaining things in many ways or having multiple trainers or like backup trainers at a practice so that they can explain things in their own ways. Um, I think the best example that I've seen of this is I took 
the class at RollerCon with Nomad. I can't remember the name of the class right now. It was about anatomy and like how you can use your physical anatomy better by knowing your physiology in roller derby. And it was super interesting, super helpful. But he explained one thing with three or four different visualizations or descriptions every time he explained something. And the like skill we were working on was being super stable, and the way we were doing that was by engaging our core better, more effectively. And he explained how to tuck your tailbone with four different visual examples. Like one was like, you know, imagine there's a string basically coming out of your pelvis, hanging straight down with a ball on it, and your belly button is a cup, and you're trying to play the ball and cup game, so you like whip your tailbone down so that the ball flies into the cup of your belly button. Another way he explained it was uh, having a flashlight coming out of your pelvis and just pointing straight at the ground. It should not be pointing backwards like a tail light or something. It should be pointing straight down between those boots. Um, those were the two that really helped me. He had two more, and I cannot remember them because they didn't jive with my brain. But I just thought that I thought that that was like a really great way of doing it. Of off the bat, three or four different visuals for people to use. And I think the reason I'm not remember the not remembering the other two quote-unquote visuals is because they were less visual. I have a very visual brain, and so those two were the most helpful to me. Um, in terms of explaining skills, it's not only just explaining them, explaining the same thing in different ways, it's also addressing the fact that people do things in different ways. So there might be, a, in your brain, a right way to do something, but my body might not do that. Um, for example, I have a really hard time with getting my, and this sounds counterintuitive because I just said I'm hypermobile, I have a really hard time getting into that like open book side stance position. I'm working on it. <laughs> um, I could explain to you why, but it's basically that my hip flexors get really tight and also some PTSD uh, lends itself to that whole thing. Anyway. I like that a trainer eventually noticed that and said, hey, why don't you try just jumping when you do a 180? So I started doing that. I'm really good at 180 now, and I just hop around. <laughs> um, I am having an issue with, because you still need to do the side stance to be able to like move laterally across the track to some degree. Um, so that's a skill that I am still working on. But recognizing that some skills do not need certain, like, there are multiple ways to do many of the skills that we need in order to be a good roller derby player, an effective roller derby player, um, and recognizing that people's brains and bodies vary d drastically, and therefore we should be accommodating that when we are teaching skills. And if you feel like you're not getting something, um, this is a little hard to do, but if you can, like, as a skater, try to recognize who skates in a way that might be similar to you, which as a brand new skater, I know that that's hard. Um, but for example, I think the person that told me how to do a 180 
or maybe it was a different skill. I don't really remember. This was like super, this was in 2019. Um, I remember someone who had a similar build to me saying, this is how I do it. And I think that this would really help you. Um, and I've started doing that with people. Like, for example, I have pretty thick thighs and I was at a practice relatively recently where two very small people were teaching crossovers and there was someone who also had thick thighs who was struggling with the crossovers. And I think that everybody has to get low when they do crossovers, but if you have thick thighs, you have to get lower because you can test this out like if you're just standing right now. <laughs> if you have thick thighs, you cannot just stand there and like cross your thighs over each other. It, you just don't have space to do that because of the room that your thighs take up. If you get low, right angle, you can easily cross your thighs over each other. So I raised my hand and I said, hey, I think that we have a similar anatomy. I also have thick thighs and you're going to have to find that you know sweet spot in derby stance where you can cross your thighs over each other in order to do crossovers. And just saying that in a very neutral way of like, there's no positive or negative to that. It's just how do we achieve these things with the different bodies that we are given or developing? Um, another accessibility bit for me has been that my body has changed drastically over the past few years. Um, maybe not super drastic. Well, yes, it's changed a bit <laughs> over the past few years. Um, I am in a bigger body than when I started roller derby. Um, and learning how to skate a different body composition is definitely something that I've had to, it's a learning curve. Um, and recognizing that people who have different body compositions are going to skate differently. And it's not saying that like bigger skaters skate this way and smaller skaters skate this way. It's more like I have long legs and a small torso. So depending on where I hold my weight, I'm going to be balanced in a different way. Um, so it's kind of complex, but just like figuring out what works for your body and offering skaters the tools to do that. And some of that goes hand in hand with neurodivergence, you know, you know, explaining things in a different way. But also, as I mentioned before, a lot of neurodivergent people have like this specific neurodivergent is called like the ADHD posture and learning how I've been learning how to strengthen certain parts of my body in order to support myself better to avoid being in pain um, but also recognizing that some of that is not just you know having stronger abs or a stronger core or something it's literally like our bodies are built different and therefore we are going to do things in different ways and I think that Derby gener generally does a good job of recognizing that different bodies do things differently, but I know that I have a weird, quote-unquote, weird hypermobile hyper body, and I can't move in some ways, but I can move extra in other ways, and I've definitely had trainers be like, why are you doing that? And if it's working for you and it's not unsafe, then it's probably fine. <laughs> um, for me, like, jumping to do a 180, it was maybe not the like ideal solution in a lot of people's eyes, but it got me to do a skill that I wasn't able to do before. And yeah, now I have to work on this other skill and I still have to figure out how to do the open book thing, but at least I can do a 180.
you know? Does that make sense? I hope so. Anyway, let's recognize that different things work for different people in a lot of different aspects. I could go on and on about comorbidities and neurodivergence because that has been my current hyperfixation deep dive research topic. <laughs> Another thing is um, roller derby is chaos. It can be super overwhelming, especially for people that are dealing with some sort of neurodivergence, whether that's anxiety or sensory issues um, or PTSD. I've had a very mixed <laughs> experience in terms of support for those things. Um, but I think that the best way that you can support people when you notice that they're struggling is to ask what they need. If they seem distressed, don't just offer your immediate, you know, positive support. Sometimes people don't need that. So I know that I personally, when I'm having some sort of meltdown or sensory overload or PTSD response, nine times out of ten, I want to be able to walk away from the track and just sit there for a second so that I can return to the track and continue with the practice or the game or whatever's happening. Um, if someone's having a panic attack, they might need more verbal support, I'm not really sure, because apparently I haven't been pan having panic attacks for, you know, 25 to 28 years I've been having meltdowns, and they are different. So what I'm saying is, make sure that someone's physically okay, and say, if you need me, just like with the advice that we talked about in the respect episode, voice your support in terms of, like, I'm here, if you need me, whatever you need, but don't just offer blind support in the way that you would like to receive it. And I've had a lot of people do that, and it's been super helpful, um, and I just hope that more people <laughs> can continue to ask what others need before simply offering support. There are, There is a time and a place for offering support when someone doesn't know what they need, for sure, but a lot of people know what they need and they can usually say like no I need, I need a second by myself or yes please come sit with me I need someone to like sit with me on the bench for a moment so I can regroup but being autistic I being in a group setting a loud setting where I'm trying to like learn things or do something that's potentially foreign for my body or even not foreign and is maybe triggering, sometimes I need a break from that environment in order to regroup and being perceived while taking that break is highly embarrassing and not what I need at the time. I do appreciate people checking in for sure, but and making sure I'm not like physically injured, but usually I just want to step off the track, take three breaths for a couple minutes and then resume what I was doing. Point is, support people in the way that they vocalize that they need support, not just in the way that you would like to receive support. Oh, another big thing is committee work and being neurodivergent. Um, I know something that would help me is a lot of leagues have these like committee position titles but no descriptions and as someone who needs as much information as possible before committing to something 
partially because I need to accommodate for myself and the way that my brain works and the way that I function. But also just because my brain wants information before delving into something. Having more job descriptions for coding roles so that skaters or volunteers know what they're signing up for and can, can select something that they'd really be good at or really want to do is so helpful. Obviously, I understand that sometimes there are roles that just need to be filled, but I'm sure that having the full description of that role would help leads to fill said role because people know what they're signing up for and therefore are more likely to be willing to sign up for it. Even if they're not neurodivergent, um, it helps everybody to have full committee role descriptions. I'm sure there's much more that I could talk about, but those were the main things that I had in my notes for today's episode, so I'll talk to you all next time. Uh, this has been the Complete Roller Derby Survival Guide Podcast, and once again, reach out to me via email, rollerderbysurvivalguide at gmail.com, or on socials, which are also at Roller Derby Survival Guide on Instagram and TikTok. If you have any comments or suggestions or questions, or you want to be featured next season, or you want to be a sponsor, that would be amazing. So check out our socials and the bonfire for our merch. Thanks so much. Bye.